0: Broadcasting from Dallas, Texas via ThrillerX and supported by listeners like you. Bitcoin, maximalism, hard money, interviews, fighting, memes, panels, promises, truth, and lies. Keeping you up to date on everything Bitcoin. Welcome to Thriller, Bit, Block, Boom. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls from the world, welcome back to another exciting episode of Thriller Crypto. Today is August 29th, 2020, and we are here in Dallas, Texas. Yeah, that's right. We came over for BitBlockBoom, doing coverage today, going to get you guys the most up-to-date information on the state of Bitcoin. That's what this episode is about, the state of Bitcoin. Now, before we dive into that, just kind of want to give you a rundown of the play-by-play of what we're doing here as far as uh, episodes. Today is going to be a special episode here based around Parker Lewis's presentation. He literally knocked everybody back in their chairs. Everybody's minds exploded (laughs) this afternoon. It was right after lunch, and his presentation was called Gradually, Then Suddenly. And we're going to talk all about that today in the podcast. And then... Maybe I would say probably tomorrow I'll drop the other episode, which is basically a recap of the entire day conference events. So let's let's dive into this, the state of Bitcoin, because I think most people and me, me especially, I was surprised just how much innovation is happening on Bitcoin. But not only that, not only that, not only that. I was also very surprised that Bitblock Boom is where you go to find out what the state of Bitcoin is. I don't think I've ever been to a conference like this before. So with that, let's dive into it. <music> Parker Lewis is the head of business development at Unchained Capital. If you don't know what Unchained Capital is, it's a Bitcoin financial services company based out of Austin, Texas, and they offer multi sig custody services as Bitcoin back lending and among other financial services. Um, he recently wrote a series on Bitcoin called Gradually Then Suddenly, and it, it overall tries to help explain why Bitcoin exists, right? And how it works for those less familiar, but who are interested in learning more. Now, I think myself included, I really wasn't expecting to learn anything today. (laughs) And I shouldn't say that so so arrogantly. But, you know, for the most part, and and, uh, a lot of you can attest to this, you know, I cover this all the time, like, All the time, like every day, every single week, month to month, uh, every year. Um, So there's really no information out there that I haven't, um, you know, found out. But what Parker Lewis has done is taken over kind of the running themes that are going on right now in the space. And he's able to gather these themes and put them together in a presentation That is a flat out sledgehammer uh, that really lets you understand at a um, fundamental level exactly where we are headed as far as uh, dollar debt in the United States. Um, And he hits you in the mouth with this and you're kind of left wondering, like, you knew this. We talked about this and really hit you with it and let you understand like what in the actual fuck is happening. Um, and he he did this. It was brilliant. It's, it's, it literally was worth the drive. <laughs> I'm not I'm not I'm not saying this because, you know, I'm trying to flatter the guy, but it literally was worth the drive here to Dallas from Austin. Um, and it literally was worth, you know, everything else. If if there was nothing else from this conference that you get from me these next two episodes, please understand how important this this presentation is. I'm just gonna say that. Um, I can't play all of it because it's 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 Gary Leland's production, right? So I'll play as much as I can <laughs> without getting in trouble, and I'll also post in the show notes where you can find the full presentation. Um, But he he literally, um, you know, uh, changed a lot of minds in that room who were already Bitcoiners, uh, but didn't know the degree of how serious this probably is. And for me especially, um, there is some facts in here uh, when he goes into the $78 trillion debt that the uh, United States is currently in. And so it's, there's, there's just a lot of dollar denominated debt And he gets into that stuff And a lot of this stuff we kind of already knew But there's just some macro stuff that You you really can't paint a picture Unless you know exactly where to find this stuff And so I'm so glad And so almost like relieved in a way <laughs> That uh, he is able to uh, put this in, per- in perspective And delivered it in such a profound way So take a listen
1: last few months we've seen the Argentine peso go from 40 to 60 um, a 50% devaluation. but realistically when the currency went from 21 to the 1 dollar to, to 25 at that point in time if a currency loses 20% of this value in a matter of a week it's done confidence is broken and you'll be able to identify it and once confidence is broken it's Pandora's box you can't put it back in uh, this is the Lebanese pound, or at least it's the black market rate. And again, I keep highlighting these points of before it really breaks, it's already broken, and then there's some time where people catch up. And that's just the nature of uh, people don't realistically come to that conclusion all at once, but you will be able to see it. Uh, this is the Turkish Lira, same thing. Again, I'm not highlighting the point where it really breaks. it's highlighting the point that you know, prior to that, and then highlighting the fact that even Further back from that is when the history was actually written um, that prevented it from being anything other than inevitable. Um, so, this also isn't a new thing the Mexican tequila crisis, this is back in the 90s, uh, and then also the Russian ruble, which was 2014 2015. So, um, the, the thing that I like to say about all these things, um, again, I'm a big fan of Zoolander, so Ferrari, Latigra, Blue Steel, it's all the same thing. Uh, and if you don't recognize it, I feel like I'm taking crazy notes. And the point is that when you start to look and understand fiat currencies, you know, people think about the dollar and the pound and the euro and the yen, maybe even the yuan, and they they think that something's different between the bolivar, or the peso, or the lira, or the Lebanese pound. Um, but realistically, all fiat currencies are the same, and that we are just at a different point on the same curve, we're not on a different curve if we're operating the dollar. And so I think sometimes there's some compromise that in order to be sane, we like to communicate, which is, Yes, there will be hyper bitcoinization but it will be running next to the dollar, and I just don't believe really that that's practical. Uh, so a few things to, to, to really highlight: I think that you know the idea of how and why currencies collapse. And Marty Bent, I believe, is the that he has. A, you know, says it awesome and loudly on Twitter: "Don't effort the money, because what you what you ultimately get is situations that are as predictable as Venezuela, or Lebanon." Um, Turkey, Argentina, and those will only continue to get worse. Um, but that many people oftentimes associate it with just printing money. And and it's easy to, to extrapolate from printing money to hyperinflation to, to economic collapse. Um, but realistically and it's it's a it's the, the gradually part of it that as the, the central bank is printing money while the currency is still apparently functioning or appears to be functioning, it's degrading. Uh, its ability to fulfill the pricing mechanism within an economy is has been distorted and causes supply and demand structures to, to break down over long periods of time, such that then that that process effectively accelerates once you can actually once you're actually aware of it. So the printing money via any central bank function does two things. It allows economic imbalance to be sustained, and by sustaining that, then that that imbalance ultimately is exacerbated. Um, Through that process, complex supply chains become distorted, Um, the supply of real goods ultimately declines, and as that occurs, the imbalance between supply and demand grows. Um, As more money is created, the, the actual function of money breaks down. Uh, real goods become scarce compared to the supply of money and individuals have a disincentive to hold money so they begin to create a run on basic necessities and so they're effectively selling their money because they're not confident that will actually be goods on the verge of self, which is what we see in a place like Venezuela. Um, so when that run on the currency happens, that's when you see that initial break. The Argentine base are going from 20 to 1 to 25 to 100. Then, Once you realize that nobody wants to hold the currency, there's only one way that that goes from there. Um, so then, there's this idea that will never happen to me, right? Where you know, I, I really tell people to think about well, what is fundamentally different between the Venezuelan bolivar and the U.S. dollar, um, and I'll and, and I'll present my um, kind of not theory, but the way that I think about it. But that that's what I I tell really people really think about what's different about it because people will come to some explanations. I don't think it will be accurate, but that at least starts the thought process. So the key here, though, is hope is not a strategy, and it will never happen to me. It does not logic why people believe the dollar has value, and I think a lot of people in this room have thought more about this than the average person. Uh, but there are a few reasons that people give, and that first one is a collective hallucination or hallucination. Uh, the government says it does. The petrodollar, dollar, guys with guns, and taxation. None of these qualifies as economic arguments, Um, and and the critical thing is that central banks can control the supply of the currency, but they can't make people value it. This, in my opinion, is the single thing that gives any fiat money that exists value. Um, That's why the dollar maintains its value. The dollar has value because people demand it. That's a very simple concept. You could say, hey, that sounds a little dense, but the real reason that people demand dollars is because on average, we're massively short dollars. So on the right side of the page you can see in the US, the dollar-denominated debt, and this is this for me is when I think about the dollar system and abstract away to the highest level, there's 78 trillion in dollar-denominated debt. That's not you know, financial crisis, CDOs, CDS, derivatives, that's just fixed liability, fixed maturity debt that exists in the United States. And there's only 4.7 trillion dollars. And that's today, after the Fed's printed $3 trillion. So we, that, this dynamic, the difference between debt and the actual dollars, is why the Fed can print a massive amount of money and not have the currency immediately collapse, because we are still massively short dollars. So after that happens, each dollar is still owed 16 to one. So for every dollar that exists, 16 people effectively that have obligations need to demand dollars in the future, and what that really means is if you don't work for dollars I'm going to take your car, I'm going to take your house, I'm going to take the shirt off your back, and that's one hell of a incentive to work for dollars to pay those debts, because the dollar debts are actually secured by productive assets. This becomes a vicious cycle. Um, When I look back to this chart, there's two things that I would say. This is the reason why the dollar has value. It is why people demand it, despite the fact that the Fed creates more of it. Uh, but it's also what guarantees that dollars will become less and less scarce over time. So this is my simplified view of what happens. Um, and, and I like to say, you know, there's oftentimes debate amongst hedge fund managers, any expert that's willing to, to, to talk says something along the lines of, what the Fed has done is crazy, but it had to be done. Uh, In reality, my view of it is that QE cannot solve the debt problem and that it actually creates the debt problem and it was actually QE or the existence of the same thing before QE existed that allowed the problem to become as big as it is today and allowed the credit system to to grow to the size that it is. So what essentially happens is the Fed puts money in the system um, because there aren't enough dollars, because there's too much debt essentially and when they add those dollars it's not just designed to sustain the credit system it's designed to actually induce more credit expansion because if we look at this chart the way the fed's economy works is, is, is a credit system the, the credit system is the marginal price center so if the fed has a price stability mandate they actually have a mandate even though it's not explicit to maintain the size of the credit system that scenario ultimately leads to the Fed puts more dollars in, we create more debt, and then there's too much debt, we go back around the wheel. And so in that in that way, uh, by its very nature, in my view, QE is more like heroin than an antibiotic, and the more that it is applied to the financial system, the more that it needs. Each time the boat gets bigger, they need more dollars to sustain the boat. But if you give a mouse a cookie, he's going to ask you to buy his triple C box. <laughs> and that's a reality and it's dangerous, it's it's effectively moral hazard, um, and it exists in a big way, and while there is some semblance of an expectation or understanding that if you take an advisable risk that you won't be penalized. I think that's probably how all of us live our lives. That's how most individuals do live there, so it's not to say that everyone just banks on the fact that they're going to be bailed out by the Fed, um, but when you introduce moral hazard that it, it creates broken incentive structures that allow for in aggregate risk-taking to happen that, that wouldn't otherwise happen, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, if people have the power, Good friend Michael Goldstein couldn't be here, so I had to give him a shout out. But uh, it's very simple: if you give people the power to earn money, they will earn money. And when we think about this dynamic, the reason that they have to is because there's way too much debt in the world. But this whole system got created because they kept bailing out the system out in aggregate. And this is the uh, the graduate part. So you know, when we think about the dollar and its ability to effectively coordinate its principal function, which is marshaling economic resources, we are seeing the slow decline of the dollar. And that this kind of loss of value, where oftentimes people question Bitcoin and they say, hey, it's not a good store of value because it's too volatile. And there's a, there's a key distinction that volatility and store of value are not one and the same. And that a good that is seemingly um, not, not vol- volatile is not a good store of value. And there was a recent presentation that Goldman Sachs gave where they said, yeah, the dollar's a store of value and in 10 years it will be worth 20% less. You know? and So you have the smartest guys in the room not understanding that you know, something that loses its value is not a store of value, but the, the real damaging part that is when the dollar is distorted as a price mechanism that imbalances grow and ultimately there is a blow up and that at some point in time that gradual decline will break and confidence is a very fragile thing. So uh, within the Bitcoin space, there's a and and, you know one of the ideas here is that people don't like to think about this of the idea that well why couldn't why couldn't what's happened to the bolivar the peso the Turkish lira the Lebanese pound why couldn't that happen to the dollar and if, if people really kind of question it whether or not what the Fed is doing right now when I think about everything if we if we think about currency crisis again if a company everything that's done today impacts three years from now in the currency system. It's like everything that happened 10 years ago at the financial crisis is the history that was written then that's impacting us now, and that still isn't priced in. Um, And we're gonna find it out someday. So the Bitcoin world, oftentimes people hammer about stock to flow is wrong. They say the happening is priced in, and what I tell those people is, if you believe in the efficient market hypothesis, I have an economics professional to sell you at a liberal arts college in Antarctica. Um, The the efficient market hypothesis is a fool's game. Um, Information is both imperfect and asymmetric. there is a reality that very few people know that the Fed has printed three trillion dollars, and there's also very few people who know that there are only ever 21 million Bitcoin, and there's even fewer people who understand why that is going to be the case. Why can't Bitcoin can't be copied? You can't price that. So not just is the happening not priced in, Bitcoin's not priced in, but the fact that the Fed printed trillions of dollars after the last financial crisis and this one certainly aren't priced in because people don't have access to the same information. Uh, and ultimately the reason why it isn't priced in is because uh, there's two things and people are quickly figuring it out but uh, i use the the george bush quote where he says there's an old saying in tennessee or at least it is in texas uh, fool me once not going to fool me again Uh, and this is the not going to fool me again chart um but it's, fool me once, shame on you, fool me four times, shame on me. Um, and so we've learned And again, this chart, QE1, QE2, QE3, QE now, what I tell people is, if QE worked, why did you need the second one? Or the third, you know, like, why didn't it fix it? Did it fix it? Did it fix anything? And, and not only does it not fix something, it actually Demands or requires that even more of QE happens in the future. So people are figuring this out I think that the shock and awe of what the Fed did, um, it's like ripping the bandaid off um, And this is just a quote from Paul Tudor Jones when he recently decided to, to buy Bitcoin He says, Become, it has happened globally with such speed that even a market veteran like myself is left speechless we are witnessing the great monetary inflation, an unprecedented expansion of every form of money, unlike anything the, the developed world has ever seen. So this guy's been around forever, and QE1, two, and three were all there, and that wasn't enough to wake him up. But then, boom! QE now, three trillion dollars in the matter of two months. People are waking up, but, but again, even then, information is asymmetric. Um, information is imperfect, so his understanding of it is very different than, than ours in this room, um, as well as the general population, and it takes time for information to spread. And then, exhibit B, obviously, Bitcoin, 21 million, same guy, connecting these two dots, and the reason why I highlight this is because it's very simple. Bitcoin is complicated, it's this chart, and this chart. I also made the case for owning Bitcoin, the quintessence of scarcity premium. It's literally the only large tradable asset in the world that has a known fixed maximum supply bias design The total quantity of Bitcoin's exceed 21 million. This, at the end of the day, is everything. Um, it's why people demand Bitcoin, but also recognize, and it's also why, the, in my view, the dollar collapse is inevitable. Anytime that somebody demands to store their value in Bitcoin, that would otherwise participate in the dollar economy is opting out of this. It's, it's, it's directly competing, and Bitcoin is going to get more and more mind share because of 21 million ever. Um, when I think about that from an economic fundamental perspective, though, it is the value of any good will trend towards this marginal cost to produce. And this, when I, you know, when I go back to say, you know. Ferrari, Latigra, Blue Steel, they're all the same. Uh, when I think of, you know, I can certainly explain readily why the Fed is different than Maduro's Venezuela. Uh, but the least common denominator about the currency is all fiat currencies have a marginal cost to produce of zero by the central bank. How they choose to do that can be different. and. They can quote be managed more or less effectively the end game is the same because of that hard fact and because of the quote that our friend michael goldstein said which is if people can print money they will print money um, and so when you compare that to the reverse that the marginal cost to produce a dollar or a bolivar or a pound or a yuan or a yen is zero um, and correspondingly that means the supply is infinite Bitcoin is the opposite. In a terminal state, its marginal cost to produce is infinite because at a point in time around 2140, there won't be any more Bitcoin that are that are issued um, and people won't be able to produce any, so therefore there's infinite cost to produce. Those two systems can't coexist people uh, inevitably will demand one over the other. And once a critical mass of people do opt out, um, again, there are flaws inherent to to all fiat systems that independent of Bitcoin would cause uh, deterioration like we see in Venezuela or Lebanon, Um, but then when it's competing with Bitcoin, there is a better option out there. And that's why, even though it can be a little bit terrifying and depressing to think about the dollar's collapse, it's not dystopian. It's the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, And that acceptance is the final stage of grief. Because it's one of those things where it's like, well shoot, if the dog's gonna, you know, ultimately collapse and say, well, if we've been talking about victimization is the other side of the same coin. So it's just one side that we don't like to think about. Um, and in my view, I don't spend a lot of time worrying about it because Bitcoin is such a big source of optimism. It, it, it is, it, if Bitcoin didn't exist, there wouldn't be a currency for the whole world to, to fall back to when legacy currencies do fail because those currencies would fail if they're to Bitcoin or not. Um, and that with that uh, hard money, first form of money that has a finite, scarce supply, that that is what the entire world will shift over to and that will will reboot the global economy. And and it really is, in my personal opinion, the, the 21 million uh, makes Bitcoin inevitable. And it's at the idea of the tunnel.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's just so much more. And, I, and like I said, I'll put the whole video in the show notes, a uh, link to it. Um, but this this Bar none was the uh, absolute presentation to hear. And don't get me wrong, there was a lot of great uh, speakers and presenters that came on today. So that's not taken away from any one of those people. but this was the this was a speaking to hear, for sure. And I will let you in on a little side thing because um, he answered questions to the audience afterwards. And there wasn't, um, there wasn't a lot of people asking the right questions. Uh, but there was one particular person, uh, and he said, "Hey Parker, so when do you think this is all going to happen? Like, when do you see this hyper Bitcoinization happening? Like, what is your time frame? Like, when do you see this occurring?" And that's like one of the running themes <laughs> of what we're always trying to get our finger on, right? And he gave a very, you know reasonable answer and he said that no one has a time machine you know or has their has their fingerprint on the exact time when this is going to occur um but we do know that stuff is going to happen and so he says hypothetically we knew that there was going to be some kind of downturn this year or next and lo and behold COVID happened so We were ready for it, right? Uh, He also said, like, with this, for example, let's say hypothetically there's an earthquake, you know, that hits California. This is what he said. There is a possibility that that causes this whole U.S. dollar to collapse, or that's the, uh, the event that causes everything to start falling like dominoes. He says, so he can't give you a time frame, but he can tell you that in his research that this is going to happen. And that was a scary thing. And then I think a person after him pressed him for a time frame. He said a reasonable enough time frame is 10 years. That's what he said. He said probably by 2030. Yeah, it's going to be a horrible decade <laughs> for sure. Okay. Okay. And that's why you go to the conferences like this. You know, that's why you attend these meetups to confirm a lot of truths that you already had, to find out if you're the only one seeing this or if you're crazy. You know, it felt so good to hear a lot of these confirmations today from what Parker was researching. A lot of this stuff we have covered in the past, right? Fed hockey, I do a lot of that. (laughs) we talk a lot about that, the dollar inflating, it'll never happen to us kind of logic, but he really hit home when he spelled it out with numbers, right? $78 trillion debt here in the United States is going to be a big problem into the future. And the effects are already written on the wall. This is where we're headed through this dark tunnel. But thank God there's a big one. Because there's life. See you next time.